We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben? Excellent. Thank you, Patrick. Good. Today we have our two-minute drill. Two-minute drill is when I go into my Instagram DMs and I collect uh, the really good questions that listeners send us with the challenge of having you answer them within two minutes. And uh, we were talking before we pressed record. These questions are no longer rel- or no no longer fairly expected to be answered in two minutes. Um, they're getting very good and very deep, and <laughs> and I just kind of enjoy uh, forcing you to try to answer them in two minutes. So. Huh. That's what we're going to do. You ready? Let's roll. All right. Before I forget, if folks want to get a question in the queue, find me on Instagram, P.S. Cummings, and drop me a DM, and I will add it to our list and get it onto a future episode. Okay. First one. I am a university student who is chasing excellence in everything, especially athletics, varsity rowing, powerlifting, and CrossFit. But everyone I am around is not. They are enjoying their youth and drinking, partying, eating junk, etc. When I spend too much time around friends, I end up slipping a little. But when I focus on maximizing health, fitness, and growth, I find my social needs are not being met. Is it better to work on discipline in my environment or should I deal with being lonely while seeking a new environment? I know the obvious answer from previous episodes is the latter, but I don't want to end up sad and alone mm. a few years from now just because or just for a few seconds off my 2K. Dude, I wish I was in this place when I was in college, like, Agreed. man, like struggling between part. I was just, there was no, there was no struggle. There was no awareness. There was no struggle because yeah. it was just partying. <laughs> So kudos to you. And also like the, like the, the chasing excellence and everything that you do. And man, that's cool that there's just, that there's, there's kids out there like that right now. So, um, super cool. And that's a, um, I don't think that this is unique to college kids. I think this can be at any age. It's like your environment isn't set up the way that you want to, and it's not in line with your goals, but I empathize because it sounds like this person really likes their friends and when they're not mm. they're, they're and the awareness of like, when I'm not with them, you know, I feel alone. I feel lonely. Um, so here's the, the obvious and easy answer is, you know, you're going to be the sum of the f- people that you spend the, the most time with, like you are a product of your environment and You know, the sociology teaches us that success determined the way that normal society determines success is more of a factor of your zip code than your smarts. Mm -hmm. So that it's so impactful to the rest of your life. So if you can, if you can satisfy the social needs with people that have the same goals as you then that's the obvious answer is you try to set yourself up for success by having those people around you that push you to be better in the things that you're most passionate about, not pull you away. So do they push or do they pull? The next part of that is, which I think has to be kind of um, pulled out is, you know, he or she, is it a he? Do we know that? He or she? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't so remember. This, and I don't this athlete, it, yeah. this college student athlete, um, 
obviously has discipline. Like everyone else is partying and they're trying to push for an extra two seconds on their 2K. But at the end, he, he or she said something along the lines of just for a few seconds off my 2K. So then it, be, it has to be the question of like, why? Why are you working this hard in the gym? Because that might be the detriment to the actual thing that you want in your life, which is balance and fulfillment and fun and yeah. joy and social. The gym is not better than the fun. It's not. Mm-hmm. We have to figure out is what's right for you and what do you want? This is what we talk about all the time is the self-awareness to know that, you know, the people listening to this are go-getters. They kill it. They kill it. It's not a matter of taking the steps. It's imagine it's a matter of are those steps leading you down the right path? So we just want to make sure that we have that awareness and understand that, yeah, it can feel really good personally in your ego to get uh, you know, a sub seven minute 2K. It could be really good and for your ego to get on the concept two leaderboard all time for a 2K. But at what cost is the answer? And if it's, no, I am going to be a, a singular, I'm going to be the best in the world, or no, this is where I get all of my fulfillment, this is where all of my um, feel good comes from, then okay, lean into it a little bit more. But I would just not necessarily say that the gym is better than the friends, even if the friends are partiers. It doesn't mean you need to party if you get a lot of fulfillment by being with them when they do. So just take the step back and really look at what is it that you want out of these relationships, relationships with the friends and relationships with performance. Yeah. I love that. And I, I, something I, I just wrote about for functional branding the other day, which is why it's on my mind and why I thought about it. What I was writing about the, this question of like defining success for yourself. And one of the things I kind of, in, in figuring it out for myself, the, one of the things that I, I, I came to is this idea that we all have this, we all have these external goals, these external motivations, and we all have these internal goals and, and motivations. And so if that's, you're running a business or you're doing whatever, there's those external uh, things, you know, whether it's revenue or growth or whatever. And then there's the internal, like I want to be home at five o'clock every night, right? Like the, and success, at least the way I look at it, the way we often talk about it is how do I balance or how do I chase each one of those goals in such a way that it doesn't, it isn't a detriment to the other one. So in other words, how can I chase those external goals in such a way that it is not a detriment to my internal goals? How do I chase those internal goals in such a way that it's not a detriment to my external goals? And and it's hard, but that's kind of the, the, you know, we've talked about that Frisbee. It's a little bit like that Frisbee, keep the Frisbee in balance. The, the internal balance, the the balance between the internal and the external. If you, if you over-index too far towards one, well, then you've got to kind of fix that. And it feels a little bit to me like the same thing. It's like, well, here with the, you know, it's the, the social life and it's the competitive spirit. It's like, well, there's no, it, it just, it comes down to like, can you have the friends without hurting the, the athletic part of it? Well, it depends on where you're, where your, uh, your, your marker is for what you can, what you accept as my competitive growth, my competitive, whatever. Right. And so to me, that's, that's how I would start to look at it is, is finding the right balance between the external and the internal. It, when you put it through the, I, I, I think there's a misconception of what we mean by chasing excellence and mm-hmm. that, that from the outside looks like be the, the pinnacle at something. Mm-hmm. And we are not saying that at all. 
That is that is the definition for for the Catrins and for the Lance Armstrongs and for the Michael Phelps. And I came up through Lance Armstrong in there, but I was such a big fan of his back when he was doing his thing. And, but yeah. you get it, right? It is like, and for the Elon Musks and for the, yep. you know, for the Thomas Edison's and for the Tom, for Brady's. Tom Brady's and for the Donald Trump's for that part, right? Like it's like, even for like any of those, like that is to be like, the one, like just to drive relentlessly, maniacally, obsessively towards that end. That's not the way we define excellence. We are defining it. And again, like when I say we, I mean you and I. I'm not saying everyone listen to this podcast. Everyone's free to define it the way that they want to define it. But the way that we define it is the balance. It is the Frisbee. It is not the seesaw. Because a seesaw means completely like giving up one to gain from the other. I'm going to give up my family to succeed in business. Well, we realize it's not quite that binary, that there's a multitude of factors from the five factors, from your health to the roles that you play, from being a, a, a productive member of society, to being a son, to being a dad, to being a husband, to being a, a, um, a manager or an employee, to the roles where you play in terms of your own health and Everything has a trade-off. Every single thing, as you just said. So it's okay for that Frisbee balancing on top of the pencil to lean a little bit. Mm -hmm. What we're saying is it can't tip, right? It's almost like you flip the Frisbee upside down. So now there's like a lip on the edge and we're going to fill it up with four or five ounces of water and you just can't let the water tip out. So as long as it leans, mm-hmm. it can lean a little bit. And life is always going to do this, right? Right now, I'm in a little bit of a, a work intensive phase. And that's totally cool. And I have yep. to recognize that that's going to be part of the journey. And other times, it's more tipped towards my own health and going to the gym. And other times, it's leaned towards my own um, um, passions and my own hobbies. And other times, it's my family. And But at any one of those times, the thing is, I don't want to get so obsessive so that I get I get two decades down the road and I go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I spent yeah. seven years doing that. We're always on this constant filter system, this constant audit of like, am I in balance? Is this working? So, okay, a little bit of extra work right now. Totally cool. Let's not, I'm still going to be home at six o'clock every night. Like I don't have as much free time at work right now as I used to. But that doesn't mean I'm not home at six o'clock. It doesn't mean when I'm home, I open up my computer. Like the hard driving principles that keep us in balance don't leave. That's why those exist. You set up the principles in peacetime. So when you're in wartime, you don't have to make those decisions. Yeah, that's a great point. We have totally ruined two-minute drill. Well, you went off on another I know. Thing. It's my fault. I'm moving ah. on. We could keep talking about this question, but moving on. Next question. In a recent episode, uh, Ben talks about how his kids only get screen time on Friday and uh, Friday nights and Saturday mornings. Any chance you could dive into what he does with his kids all day, especially in the winter? I only have a newborn and a two-year-old, but I want to focus on family and, uh, and activities rather than screen time. Love it. No, I, I, I love it because the thing I love it the most is because he has a a newborn and a two-year-old. So those are not screen time children yet. So he's being, he's proactively already trying to set up the rules ahead of time. So when he gets into the battle, they're already there. 
<laughs> War so, time and peacetime again. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yep. So it's a great question. So living in the Northeast in the summer, it's easy, right? We're outside all the time. We go to the beach, we go out on boats, we go for hikes, we do as much outdoor stuff as we possibly can. Kids go and play in the backyard. Bodie is like a little engineer building forts in the woods and <laughs> all of this stuff that a nine-year-old boy would do. And Harley is a social butterfly and does gymnastics and cartwheels, you know, probably walks on her hands more than she does her feet during the, <laughs> during the summer months and never has shoes on, the flower child. Mm. But during the winter, the struggle is real. Like it's just straight up the struggle is real in the Northeast, which is why we've decided to be a ski family. We've made a lot of, we had to be incredibly, it's not easy to do that from financial resources to effort to um, sacrificing um, your own time and the struggle of like teaching your kids the skill to be able to, I mean, it's now that they can do it and now that we have the financial means to do it it's amazing like now we're reaping all the rewards but for the first four or five years it's it's a lot of work especially when they would rather be on screens and they know that yeah and they can't ski and they can't put on their boots and they're wet noodles that are trying to go down the ski slope and you're trying to hold them up by the shoulders and your back is it's but we made that now i'm not saying like go be a ski family what i'm saying is you, you have to figure out what it is that you're going to be. Mm-hmm. And if you're the type of, if you're the family that you go to, um, on the weekends, you go to work at a nonprofit with your family mm-hmm. and you sew quilts to give to homeless people, you know, then awesome. That's an amazing thing for you to do with your kids. Or maybe your kids are incredibly artistic mm-hmm. and you, um, you do arts and crafts with them on the weekends or they're mus- musical and you play music with them or you, they're incredibly, um, you know, like Bodhi is like an engineer and you build stuff. You build, you build a robot with your a remote control car, a remote control plane. You teach them to play chess. Like, but this is the chance to to do something with them. And I'm a big proponent of, not um, the overbooking, which is what mm-hmm. a lot of parents do. And I'm not a fan of that at all. So what they try to do is they go to soccer practice and then from soccer practice, they go to karate. And then from karate, they go to swimming and from swimming, they go to, and it's just like, oh my God. It's like, that is just um, busy, not not productive. So mm-hmm. something, this is that's the way I look at it. It's a, my my parenting principles is something that you can do with them. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love skiing um, because, you know, as my dad, I was talking to my dad, I was, you know, bragging essentially to him, like how, how, um, how much I, how glad I am that we've been able to establish this as part of our family. He said, you know why is because um, there's very few activities you can do with your kids that either you or they don't get bored after two hours. Mm. So if you're going to um, play their video games, you're going to be bored. If you're going to mm-hmm. read their, you know, um, purplicious books, you're going to be bored. If they're going to do your things, they're going to be bored. But there's very few things that you can do with them that you're both good at. That would be my litmus test. Mm. 
what are the things that you can both do that you're not bored? Because you got to, um, on the weekends, you got to eat up some time in the winter in the Northeast. Yeah. And we didn't always do that. When our kids were three and we had a one and a three-year-old, we're pretty close to where a one and a two, yeah. just like this guy was. We weren't doing that. We weren't going to go skiing with a two and a one-year-old. So, <laughs> right. so what did we do? We sat around the house <laughs> all day, Saturday and Sunday. And then we'd, yeah, we'd go to the gym and yes, we'd go to friends' houses and, but man, that's not going to be sustainable when they're seven and nine. So mm-hmm. that's where I would go with it is what can you do that you're not both bored? That's a great lit- litmus test. Cause obviously I'm in the, I'm in the position now I've got a almost five, almost two. So we're like, we're not quite there where we can go do a whole lot, you know, especially with the baby, but the five-year-old is, is getting close to that. And I love that as a, what was in my head before you said that was like, one of the things I think that I've watched you do, which or, or then we've talked about, is kind of let them let them lead with their curiosity, and then figure out what that leads to, or what that. And then, but I love I I think it's a great point. I love that as a litmus test. It's just the idea of like, okay, that's good for an hour, that's good for a little bit, but that's not good. That's not always going to be good for a full weekend. Or the weather's bad, it's cold, whatever. But the the ability or the, just thinking about it is is as that is like, what can you do? that can last some time that won't distinguish the curiosity after an hour for either one of those. I think that's a great, that's a great way to think about it. It's going to, that's, that's actually very helpful. All right. Next question. With my college going virtual for the third consecutive seminar, I'm feeling like there's no real value to college. Hmm. Lots, if not all of the information I'm participating in in school is available online for free or at a fraction of the cost online. I'm considering quitting and teaching myself and trying to uh, find a job that way. My main obstacle is that many companies, my dream career requires a degree to work for them. For context, I'm in a creative field. I hear you. Yeah. So... I recently came across this. I can't remember where, but it's basically um, the day you start your business is the day you realize how school failed you because <laughs> it yeah. does not set you up for, unless you're lucky enough to go to an entrepreneurial, you know, like a Babson or one of those types of colleges. Um, but for a traditional, like liberal arts degree or regular, uh, it just, it's not setting you up to be an entrepreneur. Just like it's not setting you up for life. It's setting you up to be a cog. It's just setting up for like, here's a, a skill set. You can excel at this one skill set. Go there and do this. Mm-hmm. I could not agree more though with the changing landscape of what is happening in higher education. And I, I we, we've done podcasts on this. We've talked about this, how we think that it, the entire infrastructure of education is ripe for a revolution. And I believe that it's going to happen from the top down, from higher education on down. And Mm. COVID is essentially speeding up that process because the multitude of avenues and ways that you could educate yourself before from taking online courses to accessing master classes to um, seeing how the pulling back the curtain and seeing how the best do it. There's so much content information out there that... It's not where you used to have to go to a college, listen to a professor talk for 75 minutes in a lecture hall to gain information. That's the way information was distilled a decade ago. Well, it's just not the way it's done anymore at all, like at all. And there's so much more that you can get outside of that lecture hall. So 
with these classes going virtual, it just seems like this is the inevitable. Now, I'm not answering the question, which is um, if I don't see much value in this and I can get it elsewhere, maybe even better, how do I navigate that when the career I want requires a degree? And if that's the case and you are already through at least a quarter of your, maybe close to halfway, and you need a degree, like really like understand this, you need a degree, then stick it out. Mm-hmm. Stick it out. If you need a degree, then you need a degree. If I want to drive a car, no matter how good I get to drive, if I have to get my license, like I can't yeah. drive a car unless I get my license. No matter how much I disagree with driver's education, I have to take driver's education to get my license. Like it's just, you have to do it. You, you have to understand it's part of the process. So if you truly have to get a degree, then do it. But if most per- hiring opportunities would prefer a degree, totally different ballgame. Mm-hmm. Excellence cannot be kept quiet. Your portfolio in your creative career will speak so much more than that one line that says graduated from college XYZ in 2023. That is not going to matter nearly as much as look at my portfolio. Look at what I've created. And they say, why? I see that you actually um, didn't get a degree. Why was that? And then you say to, you know, that will get you in the door. Your portfolio will get you in the door. And once you're in the door, then you say, just what you just said. I wasn't seeing the value. I thought I could teach myself more. And I valued the real world experience much more than I did from the artificial walls of the ivory towers. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Next question. What advice do you have for people who really uh, struggle working out alone, uh, but for whom options are limited in consistently going to the gym? I'm a 35 year old mom to four, uh, four year old twins oh. who are not yet in school. And I've done CrossFit for 10 years now. I have a fully equipped home gym, but I do better uh, with being in community training alongside others who challenge and push me and value having a coach to help me grow as an athlete. I train at home when I have, uh, when I have to usually a couple days a week at my affiliate and two or three days uh, at home. But I lack the internal motivation to push uh, push into that extra gear when I'm by myself. I do it out of discipline and pursuit of my health and fitness goals, but I really don't enjoy it. That's a hard question. Yeah. First off, kudos. Like mom, killing it. Like twin four-year-olds mm-hmm. feeling you. Dang. <laughs> um, I used to think I wanted twins. Like it'd be like, yeah, you just really? get like, you get two at once. You're like, <laughs> it's just like, you're just done. Then I had kids. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> no way, no yeah. way. Um, I have a friend who had uh, five under the age of four. No, no. Crazy. Like think of that <laughs> five under the age of four, two sets of twins and another. No. Um, okay. So. Yeah, mom, like you're you're disciplined and you're doing it. Like you're you're killing. You're frankly you're killing it. Like you re- you recognize that it's not your top option. You'd rather be at the gym with community, with a coach, being inspired and being motivated. But your discipline is holding you to the practice because you know it's important to your health and what you're trying to accomplish in your life. Discipline is doing what you don't want to do, like you love it. So. 
I would say that you're close to that. I would say that you are doing it, but you're not doing it like you love it. So this probably is not the question, the answer that you thought you might get, but what I would actually encourage is to recognize the opportunities that you have and how lucky you are to be able to have these kids and still be able to go to a gym two or three days a week. So this is when we talk about the victim mindset, it's not like I'm a slave to somebody. It's not like I walk around the streets like dragging my feet. Like I, who I try to have as much awareness as possible that I possibly can, I know I have the victim mindset many times, like a lot of the times. Like, like, and it's just like, you have to, I'm not saying that this person has that victim mindset, but just recognize it when it pops up its ugly little head. Like, how come I can't go to the gym every single day? That's all we mean by the victim mindset. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to go to the gym every day. Like, I I can't do it because I have kids at home. Like, what do I do? Something as small as that is taking away ownership. You control this thing. And you're doing it. You're totally doing it. Just eliminate the woe is me part. And I know it's Mm -hmm. not like, like I, it, my life sucks. It's so hard. You're not that person. I totally know. I know who you are. You know, you're like my, I, you're like, like my wife, but just recognize that like there is degrees and what we're trying to do is just constantly edge up and constantly be aware of the tiniest little thing that goes like, I don't have it all. Like I don't have everything that I want. You're never going to. When it's not your kids and your workout schedule, it's going to be the next thing. You didn't get the the shoes that you wanted. You didn't get the job that you wanted. Someone said something about you. There's always going to be that little tiny thing that puts you in that state of resistance. And we need to do is edge up to a level of acceptance and just recognize that This is the life, and this is what is right now. And your kids are four. They're gonna be in kindergarten next year. They're gonna be at school for a half day. Right then, you might be able to go back to the gym full time. And then the next year, they're gonna be in first grade. And as long as they're not homeschooling, which I don't recommend homeschooling twins, you're gonna have the whole morning available again. So this is now, and it's not something you have to figure out forever. And then Keep doing what you're doing because you're still doing it even though it's something that you know is not optimal. And that is awesome. That is chasing excellence. Next question, which feels related, but it is not. (laughs) Does frequency make up for less intensity? Say I go from working out three times a week with moderate intensity to five times a week with low intensity. Can the increase in number of workout sessions per week offset the decrease in intensity? Yes, and more than that. Hmm. Intensity is not the answer at all. It's not the answer to anything. Mechanics, consistency, then and only then intensity. So if you're trying to learn to do anything, type really fast, drive a race car, play guitar, whatever it is, and you practice once every 10 days, And when you practice, you hammer on it. You freaking hammer on it 
for 20 minutes. You just drill total focus, everything you have. That will not be as productive as backing off the intensity a notch or two and doing it every single day. It is the drip, drip, drip consistently that gets us to where we want to be, not the fire hose to the face. The fire hose to the face is tempting because you get really wet really fast, (laughs) but it is not the thing that's going to get you to the end state to where you want to be. So not only is it... um, it's, it's the opposite. It's not even a substitute. It is the thing you should be chasing. What you should be doing instead is getting to the gym five or six days a week. Once you are getting to the gym five or six days a week, then we'll talk about how hard you work out when you're at the gym. The question needs to be reversed. Mm. Got it. <coughs> Next question. I train BJJ and CrossFit five to six times a week. I work with a CrossFit coach uh, slash doctor of PT weekly. I struggle with the balance between leaving my ego at the door and pushing myself to be better. I have a recurring lower back issue that comes and goes every three to four months. And when it happens, I have to significantly decrease my training volume and intensity for one to two weeks, during which time I focus on mobility and core. Uh, core strengthening. Then I gradually build back up and start pushing myself harder. It feels like it feels like right when I'm starting to peak again, I get injured and have to start the cycle all over again. How can I tell the difference between being appropriate between appropriately pushing myself harder to meet challenges and not feeding into my ego by overreaching and potentially getting hurt? God, this community is awesome, right? Doing like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and CrossFit five days a week and like pushing it. Like, God, this, it's so cool. Um, but this is the, this is the same answer actually to the first thing that we talked about, which is Mm. the Frisbee. It's the balance. You're doing the seesaw. You're going, you're going hard, trying to push. Like I need to lift more weight. I need to push harder in this. I need to, um, you know, push harder, harder, harder. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, nope, can't do anything back off completely time to focus on mobility and core. And then it gets better. And it's like, I'm going, going, going. I, I've been in the cycle before myself. Like mm-hmm. I, I used to have it not as frequently that, and for me as a back injury as well. And it would pop up, uh, about biannual, like every, every six months or so in the mm-hmm. exact same thing. And then it, the back thing, it, I can totally relate. And the reason is that you haven't established the totality across your training platform. You're just pushing for the the thing that makes it's honestly it's the and it's he has tons of awareness. I'm assuming it's a heat. Mm-hmm. It's probably a bad judgment. Um, <laughs> this athlete is um, chasing, and the reason I, d- I said it's a he is because of the ego comment, not because of the jujitsu or anything like that. Um, but it's because. You're chasing things that feed the ego, which is heavier weights, faster times, uh, more intense rolling on the mat, as opposed to the things that don't feed the ego, like mobility, like core work, like recovery, like warming up, like sleep, like better nutrition. You know, you can't post the other things to Instagram. So mm-hmm. if you if the ego wasn't involved at all. Literally, you were just programming a machine and you knew the different variables that would maximize the performance from a longevity standpoint. Because again, it's consistency. You have to be able to go, go, go. If this athlete was able to withstand just just skip one or two of those back injuries and go nine to 12 months without an injury 
as opposed to three months, step back, three months, step back, three months, step back, and go almost a year without doing that. I don't care how slow they go. They're going to be so much farther along than they would otherwise. Training should be this little thing of steps and uh, plateaus, steps and plateaus, steps and plateaus. It should not, this is on a, this is on a macro cycle. So this means like across weeks and months, not in uh, day to day. Cause in day to day, the training cycle looks very different. It's much more undulating. It's not peaks and valleys, it's ups and downs. You work hard, you recover, you work hard, you recover. Mm. But in the long term, it should be peaks. Um, it should be climbing ve- valley, climb valley. Meaning you work really hard, all of a sudden you have this breakthrough and then you're stuck on that breakthrough and you work really hard and then you have another one and so on. If it looks more like the peaks and valleys, something's out of whack. And over the long course, yeah, the 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 ramp up might be faster, but you're dropped down so far. Instead of a instead of a plateau, you're dropping, you're losing capacity. So it would be more about the long play than it would be the short play. It'd be more about um, filling the plate with all of the things, not just the feel good things. And this is honestly the reason that at our gym we track performance on a yearly basis, not a weekly, monthly, or quarterly. So mm. we do Fran the first week of February every year. And we don't do it again. And because of that, you have the full year, of an entire year to try to improve your performance. It's not about trying to get better at Fran three weeks from now. That's not the right recipe. And what we're doing is we're tracking that over a five or six year period. So you don't even need to be better at Fran to, at next year. Now you will be if you have the right methodology. And if you're trying to go better in six years, you will be. If you try to peak out Fran in three weeks, you probably will PR Fran, but keep on that intensity level, keep that going. And I don't know if you will the next year. Mm-hmm. And that's what we really want. Next question is a bit of a long one. I'll try to to speed through it. I've been doing CrossFit on and off for a few years prior to quitting uh, college hockey in order to pursue CrossFit in a competitive sense. I found a good coach and was doing a lot of training for several months before realizing I had a shoulder injury. Because of how I I was brought up in sports with football, hockey, lacrosse, I thought I could just ignore it and train through it. However, this was very much not the case as it turned out to be a torn labrum and rotator cuff. I got surgery dedicated to the recovery, but also maintaining my fitness as much as I could. Unfortunately, during this recovery, I suffered another injury. This one in my knee, I was diagnosed with a runner's knee and has been, and it's been bothering me for about five and a half months now. I recently started working with a CrossFit coach who doubles as a PT and feel like I'm making some progress. I do my best to maintain that curious competitor mindset and welcome this adversity, learning as much as I can from it. I challenge myself every day to make recovery my priority. It's been a long road of being injured, and there's definitely times where I I let a victim mindset take over. My question after all of this is how to keep a curious curious competitor mindset through longer lasting injuries like a year plus. And if you guys think uh, if you guys think the occasional loss of motivation is preventable or inevitable, it's just like the question to surmise the whole all the other questions, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Okay, can you just repeat that very last part? That like yep. the very last part with like uh, 
Absolutely. So uh, my question after all of this is how to keep a curious competitor mindset through longer lasting injuries like a year plus, and if we think that the occasional loss of motivation is preventable or inevitable. Okay. Uh, so let's take that last, very last little piece. Is the occasional loss of motivation preventable or inevitable? It is inevitable. Mm -hmm. uh, if you cannot rely on motivation, that's why you have to have discipline. Motivation comes and goes. If you listen to a great, you know, you listen to Eye of the Tiger, you watch Rocky, you watch the CrossFit games, you, you, even if you sit on silence and watch the Bar Boston Marathon, you read a book about swimming across Antarctica, you want to go do amazing things. But after four or five days, it's gone. Like that's just, it, motivation cannot be the thing. It has to be discipline. So what we talk about all the time on this podcast is like the, the disciplined life is a happy life. So that's the first part. Then the next part is, I, I think that was the second part. That was the second part. Okay. Yep. The, the first part was how do you keep a competitor mindset uh, in long-term setbacks Over. like a year, right? <laughs> yeah. Like something that takes a, yep. yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, you, you don't, you don't. Mm -hmm. um, so here's, let me give us a little bit of color for this. So people don't recognize what we're talking about here. There's different, and I've, I've alluded to this a little bit, but there's different, I believe my, the way I shape this in terms of mindset is a few different layers. There's the victim, which we've already talked about, which is the bottom layer. It's the worst thing that you could possibly do yourself as a human being is give up all control over life and just be a play a victim. The next is the pessimist, which believes that the future is going to be worse than the past. And this sucks right now. The opposite of that higher level is the optimist. And the optimist, while they're more fun to be around, and in most cases, they'll outperform the victim or the pessimist, they're not the best place to be because when things do get shaken up, they lack what's called bracing. And they can get mm. rocked to their core when they thought it was going to be, it's okay. We'll be fine. We're going to, we're going to win every game. And they go a three game losing streak. And all of a sudden their whole framework crumbles underneath them. This is why optimists are the first to die in prisoner war camps. It's okay. We're going to be out by Christmas. It's okay. We'll be out by Valentine's day. It's okay. We'll be out by 4th of July. And they're not next Christmas comes around and they're gone. The pessimists actually live longer, strangely enough. So there's a higher level, which is the realist and the realist understands that there is no good or bad, but thinking makes it so, like Shakespeare said, and there is going to be ups and downs. That's where we need to be. Right now, this athlete needs to be there, not the curious competitor, because mm. we're not there yet. Once you recognize mm. that there are going to be setbacks and sometimes they take a year, that's where we hang out. And it's not like we get to a certain level and we're there and now we chill out there and now we've moved up to the fourth floor apartment and we're going to be there until we move up to the fifth floor. It's more like you're on an elevator that you don't have control over. And it's constantly changing levels from victim and the next thing you know, you're an optimist and then you're a pessimist and then you're a realist and then you have a major injury. My daughter just torn her ACL three di different times. First year, senior year of high school, she got a scholarship to play lacrosse. She hasn't been in a game yet because mm. she's torn her ACL two more times in college. Um, and she's going back <laughs> like crazy, but she's going back to play again. And she's going to do a fifth year of college as long as she stays healthy to play again. Um, 
But it's this real estate. It's understanding you don't have as much control. We talk about circle of control and circle of influence all the time. Yet, we think we still have more control than we do. And yet, the things that we do have control over, we don't take as much action as we possibly could. This is the dichotomy. It's the simplest principle in the world. Do you have control over the weather, Patrick? No. No. Do you hate it when it rains? Yes. Like, what? Like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, is there a chance that if you play these high-level sports like hockey, football, and lacrosse and CrossFit that you're going to get hurt? Yes. You're hurt. Do you understand that you're hurt? Yes. Are you, like, just like you have to, once you're there, you have to let it all, this is going to sound weird for like, competitors and type A's and like, go, go, go. You have to let, I'm going to swear, and I never swear on this podcast, but you have to let that shit go. Like, just let it go. It happened to you. Now what's happened is you've built up all this resistance around this thing. And you're trying to force yourself to be the curious competitor. No, no, no. Like, it sucks that this happened. It happened to you. And what you're doing is going like, man, I'm supposed to like see the bright side of this. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to enjoy this moment. And like, no, you, what happened is you never let the actual incident just flow through you and actually like have the emotion, be sad, be pissed off. And like that it's gone. It's essentially like losing someone that you care so much about. When you lose someone that you care so much about, you have to experience the feelings. You have to be emotional. You have to be present. You can't pretend like it's going to be okay. You can't pretend like they're going to come back. You can't pretend like they didn't mean that much to you. And you can't suppress the feelings and push them down. That doesn't work. You push them down, it's going to come back up in some way, in a way that you're not going to like at all. You literally have to just be there present in the moment. And when these things come up that you don't like, just let it happen and go through you. And they're gone. They're easy enough, way easier for me to say it than do it. I struggle with this Mm -hmm. just like everybody else. Totally struggle with it. But it's the uh, literally the highest path that we can be on as human beings is to have awareness of that. Just that. I'm not saying be the curious competitor, which is by the way, I never finished the story, but that's the level above being a realist, mm-hmm. the curious competitor sees these hardships and is excited about them because they know the greatest, greatest growth happens through struggle. If the caterpillar that goes in the cocoon, it's like being constricted in that cocoon. If you came along and helped it and allowed it to just get out of the cocoon, what happens to it? It dies. It literally dies. It needs the struggle It needs the experience of busting itself through the cocoon. Do I know what's on the other side of this injury for you? No way, no how. And no one does. I I have no idea what's going to come of this. But if you were just present right here in this moment and allow it to happen without building up more resistance to it, that's the highest place you can be as a human being. That's it. And then when you aren't there, recognize you're not there, 
but then don't judge yourself for not being there. That's the cycle we all get into once we get them aware of this stuff. God, I know I'm supposed to like not be upset that I'm injured, but man, this sucks so much. And like, oh my God, there you go. Like I'm, and we have to just kind of let it all pass through us. And is the process or the, the getting ourselves to a place where we do let it pass through us, is that the act of becoming the curious competitor or is that, is there still you a separation? Become, you don't, there? you can't force yourself to become, this is what ends up happening. Got it. Okay. Is you see the levels and you're trying to jump right. into the next level. <laughs> right. This is, you right. don't get to choose what level you're on. Got it. You don't get to choose it. It's like, just like if you were to choose that, like, I don't like when it rains, so I'm going to choose it's not going to rain tomorrow. <laughs> you don't have control over that. We can't control what level we're on. Okay. So what happens is we know that there's a higher level. We know that there's a thing called enlightenment. We know there's a thing called being happy. We know that there's a thing called um, whatever you want to call it. And we, we, we judge ourselves for not being there. And that pushes ourselves farther down. So all we do is go like, just recognize that you're sitting there witnessing this. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly the way you get there. Mm -hmm. That honestly is it, is just being it, you know, you know, in, in spiritual talk, it's like uh, uh, sit at the, as, as a witness of your consciousness. Mm hmm now that's a big, meaty, weird, esoteric conversation that it's not even worth having because it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. The big thing is when you feel stuff bubbling up, you just release it. Mm -hmm. You relax and you release. You don't go, why am I not being the curious competitor? Why am I not? Why am I not excited about this adversity? Why am I? Why can I not be um, see the bright side in this? You just go, here it comes. Ah, oh, I feel that weird feeling in my stomach that like, that's where I feel it anyway. I think some people feel in their, Heather feels in her chest. Mm. So Heather feels like tightness in her chest. I feel my stomach, my mm. stomach starts to turn. Mm. And I think other people feel something different. So can you become aware of those things that are doing that? And now all of a sudden you start to recognize the triggers. And now all of a sudden, like Pavlov's dog, you can mitigate them beforehand. The triggers actually become a way for you to, oh, here it comes. My wife just said this. This is the thing that usually sets me off. And that awareness right there is the thing that doesn't set you off. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Just create awareness of the things that trigger you. Full stop. Because the rest will take care of itself. It's just a, the momentum will carry itself. Become aware of the things that trigger you, period. All right. Next question. I recently com competed in a local crime. We are horrifically failing at this, this is two the two-minute part. <laughs> this we have to retitle the, retitle this, this one. Is the, the biggest Ten questions with Pat and Ben. <laughs> Uh, I recently competed in a local CrossFit competition. I was very nervous and anxious leading up to it. And during, I felt the nerves physically and emotionally at the end of the weekend after the workouts were finished. It felt like my body and mind were, were in a sort of survival mode, not allowing me to be tired and sleep. 
Immediately after the last workout, I had a rush of emotions and wanted to cry as a release uh, of, of being done, but repressed them until I could get some alone time. When I finally did, I felt numb, like my brain wouldn't allow me to feel emotions as a survival tactic. I also feel a little lost, uh, not knowing what my next big goal is, and I'm somewhat sad that the exciting event and goal is now over. Can you all discuss post-competition blues and what high-stress competition can do from a physical and mental standpoint the following days and weeks? Oh my God. I don't know if you did this. This is like the perfect segue. Yeah. I don't know. This is crazy. It's like the perfect segue from the last one, right? It's like literally the same thing. So, okay. Mechanistically though, is what, Mm -hmm. what's happening is it's called the parasympathetic lashback. So, um, your body goes into fight or flight during a competition. It's super, super high stress. You might only be on, if maybe you're a power lifter and you're literally on the floor for like 60 you know, seconds, 60, seconds. <laughs> yeah. 60 yep. seconds, like it's just crazy over the course of a 12 hour day. Like you're, you worked out for 60 seconds, but it's such a high stress environment. Um, stress puts you into fight or flight. Fight or flight is the parasympathetic nervous system. It is a part of your evolutionary biology that just gets you like firing to, to and this person's using the words to survive. Like they, this person's so heightened. They, they recognize the emotions. They recognize this feeling. They recognize that they repressed it. They, um, they cried. Then they realized that days later, like this person's, exa- like what we were talking about the last one, this mm-hmm. person's there. They're there. They just don't quite have all uh, the understanding behind it, right? So um, I don't even remember what the question was because I was so ama- amazed at this. What is it? Was there a question at the end of it? Yeah, there was, well, there was a couple. So there was, um, uh, a little lost, not knowing my, my next big goal is somewhat sad about it being over and, uh, just what's going on with these post-competition blues. So there's a couple of different, kind of related, but just, I made, they're asking what their goal should be, but I don't know, write a book, like (laughs) go sail across the Atlantic. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, try to be on. Elon Musk's mission to Mars. So I guess the first like, question, the goals are up there, to you. The goals are, yeah, hard. I, I, think I, I the can't first tell you what your goals that was, that was embedded in there is like all of these feelings, all of this response yeah. and reaction, is that normal or what's up with that? Or how do yes. I understand that? So that is the parasympathetic lashback. That's yep. exactly what that is, is um, you're now going and all those, that things that you were suppressing because um, when you're being chased by the saber tooth tiger, that is scary as hell. When people are scared, they cry. Yep. But when you're chased by a saber-toothed tiger, you don't cry. <laughs> what happens? Yeah. That gets pushed down. It gets yeah, yeah repressed yep. through the sympathetic through the um, sympathetic nervous system, and now your all of your things go into perform like go 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 until it doesn't, and then it's like this whoa, like whoa, and like all of a sudden it washes over you. Um. I would say I cry um, in the athlete warm-up area after about 50% of the CrossFit games. Mm. Um, and I've been to, I think I'm going on CrossFit games number 15, 14, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed the first one. So I think I'm going on number 14 right now. Um, so after probably about seven of those, I cry. I don't, it's after just like- the, After the event is over. After the last, last event. Workout. Yeah, after the last workout, last event. Usually the athletes are being sequestered. They're doing like whatever drug testing or a word ceremony or something. And it just washes over me. It's just like, you can't help it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, don't want to repress it. You just kind of let it happen. It's part. So the first part is that's totally normal. And not only for athletes, it's normal for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You finally get your company to go public. You finally get married. You um, have been working on this project forever and now it's done. Like you've been in go mode for so long. There's going to be, you know, we've talked about this before. Basically, it's mm-hmm. the it's the pirate ship ride at the fair. It's the pendulum swinging back and forth. It's been so far over and held up on one side for so long that when you do let it go, it's going to swing all the way through to the other side. Mm-hmm. This is the reason we don't want to live life there. This is the reason for the balance. Mm-hmm. Because if you're in your everyday life, you are so far over to that one side, one small little thing could trigger you and send you all the way over to the other. You are so fill in the blank, but part of the word is stressed, right? And stress means a lot of different things from your job, from whatever it is, from your relationship, that your kids go like, while you're trying to work on your project and your kids are tugging at your pants and going like, daddy, can you read to me? Daddy, can you read to me? Daddy, daddy, can you read? And you lash out at them with them doing, because it had to swing. It Mm. had, literally, it had to swing. It's physics. It was all the way over to one side. It must pass through center and come back over to the other side. This is the reason we believe chasing excellence is maintaining the balance. Mm -hmm. Because if you maintain the balance, you don't have the swings. Now, an acute swing here or there, like competing, like going on a silent retreat, like busting your ass at work to get this thing done for a week, Mm -hmm. no big deal. Busting your ass to get this thing done for six years, big deal. Yeah. So the acute things, like a competition, go for it. Acute, in most cases, is good for you. Chronic is not. Yeah. Cute stress, good. Ice baths, workouts, intermittent fasting, cool. (laughs) It's kind of like why intermittent fasting is good for you, but being malnourished is not. That's acute (laughs) Like right. you going low calories, like, like sub calories for a certain window each day, or even for a one, two or three day period every now and then, dude, cool. Go for it. You doing that for six years issues. Yeah. This is why we want to maintain the center. Yeah. It's like the, I haven't thought about it before, but it's like the, the proper or the intentional use of stress, wildly right. useful, but the right. unintentional use of stress, what we're talking about, those giant swings or those chronics is when we run into trouble. So the competition is a great test of, or or great use of stress, but obviously you can't live there. Doing CrossFit. Yeah. Doing CrossFit every day is one of the best forms of stress. Totally. Being Mm -hmm. slightly calorie deprived every day, slightly, like under a hundred under. Amazing. Amazing. Very low levels of stress but amazing, right? You um, overcoming the fear of public speaking and getting up, amazing, like fantastic, great. What's not is chronic stress. Mm -hmm. That's the issues. 
Last question we're going to do today because this has been a longer one. In our box, we really like we really try to create a great community and atmosphere for everybody. We don't have a lot of competitive athletes. I say that we uh, I'd say we have our typical everyday athlete who enjoys being fit and healthy. A new couple joined us with the goal of quote unquote maintenance of fitness. Although I'm a different type of person, I try to coach them as best as I can, but they constantly have excuses. I'm going slow today. Um, our cherry picking with movements often don't hit the stimulus or the intention of the workout and just don't really listen to, uh, to cues or clues uh, and things I say. For me, it feels like uh, it feels like it could have a negative impact on the others in the class in terms of motivation, cheering, supporting each other. If there are two people who always are always wanting to quote unquote, do their own thing. I already asked if we can have a chat about intentions and goals and how I can support them, but instead they just texted back that it's not their priority now that they're just, they just want to maintain fitness. How would you reach out to them uh, or react to this? I just want to create a great environment for everybody. And I'm afraid that they will have a negative impact on the class atmosphere, especially also when new people join and think that this is typical. Good question. I love it. I love the, um, the intentionality of trying to create a community and it's not about just getting more members about getting the right members. So this is kind of like mm -hmm. right up your alley, Patrick, this is what you do all the time in terms of like being incredibly intentional with who you are, what you believe in, what you stand for. Um, you know, if you, if you chase the middle, you're going to end up at the middle, whatever. Um, yep. but this to chase me is average. You're going to be average. Exactly. So this to me is actually, there's two, I almost see this as two separate issues and maybe you can help mm. me with this, but one is, um, how do I deal with clients that are here for quote maintenance, um, that fitness is not their priority. And then the other one sounds separate to me, which is, um, they don't listen. Mm -hmm. So, cause you can have people that are, I, unless it's a, unless you're really, so the, the overarching question before I go into those two subsets is, um, understanding it, are these people pulling away from the culture of your community? Mm -hmm. If they're hurting the culture, it's kind of like, you know, the analogy is you're, you're cooking a bunch of Brussels sprouts on a pan and you have just mm -hmm. the right number of Brussels sprouts to, so every single one can touch the bottom of the pan. Yep. And it's really easy to cook those Brussels sprouts, right? Because like each one, you just kind of like turn, you just kind of, it's really easy to do that. But then you put that one extra Brussels sprout on top and now it's like, oh, I got to try to fit this one in there. And now like <laughs> I got to put this where yeah. do I, oh my gosh, I don't know which ones are being like, some are being burned now and some are being totally raw. So that's the idea. Like that's the same analogy as like, you know, one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. It's true. Mm -hmm. So I'm not opposed to the principle here. I'm not opposed to... um asking members to not be a part of your community, essentially firing members. We've done it before. Yeah. But it's important to be really clear about why you're doing that. So if it is, and this gets into the next two things, if it's because they want to quote, maintain fitness, that, that person probably would not have fit into my gym, CrossFit New England in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, they probably would have self-selected out or I might've had the conversation for them to leave because we were so hard charging, competitive. You know, it was like, we are going to get you, um, you know, 20 unbroken pull-ups. We're going to get you to do workouts prescribed. We're going to get you to compete in the open. 
And our community knew exactly what it was, what it stood for, and it was awesome. It was great because of that. Today, that that's a lot of our members. Mm-hmm. So maintenance is so maintenance is not a bad thing. We have to recognize that because mm-hmm. what we're doing is this is the through line for this podcast. Maybe we can change the name from the two minute drill to balance. <laughs> yep. Because what we're doing, this person is saying is this isn't my priority. They're still coming to the gym multiple times a week. They're killing it in a, in a lot of respects. And here's the thing with maintenance. If you are able to maintain perfectly, um, just for thought experiment, perfectly maintain. What that means is, Patrick, that you don't lose an ounce of capacity across your lifetime. What that means is when you're 98 years old, you can still do everything, think, feel, act, play, and perform exactly like you do today. Every single person on planet Earth would take that. Mm-hmm. That's maintenance. Now, the best way to actually get there is to create a fitness surplus. We all know that. But understand what maintenance is. That's not the wrong goal. Because if you push the fitness surplus too much, you can lead to burnout or injury or bad kinds of stress. So I am where I am right now in my life cycle as a CrossFit gym owner um, I, I love maintenance. I think it's a great mm-hmm. thing. Dot, dot, dot. Now the second aspect of this, I feel like they might be a distraction. They do their own thing and they don't seem to listen. Uh, in our gym, that would not fly at all. That's reason for a conversation to leave, but it has nothing to do with the maintenance aspect. Right. So you can do our program and be a part of the community and still maintain your fitness, even if it's not a big priority in your life. But you can't be here and do your own thing, not listen to the coaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I think that you've got to recognize that the the part of and you know we've talked about this before, but part of especially in a CrossFit gym, part of the service that you sell is the environment in which the service is delivered. And so it's as if you have, it's as if you have a restaurant and everything's going great. And you have one server who likes to swear at people. (laughs) Well, that's going to affect this, the overall environment in which somebody enjoys a meal. And so you wouldn't tolerate that. And so what you've got to look at is, is, is if this, if the environment is part of, and it's, it's, I think it's sometimes hard for gym owners to recognize that the environment is just as important as, the modality of the uh, is just as important as the program. It's just More. as important as how good your More. coach is. Yeah. And so that's part of the service. And so when you sign up to be a gym, what you're doing is I'm part of this service is I'm going to build a place in which people do this thing. It's not, it's not random. It's not like, it doesn't matter what happens here. As long as they do the thrusters, we'll be okay. That's not it. It's they're, they're equal. And so when you start recognizing, we start letting people mess with the environment, you're starting, you're letting them mess with the product. You're, you're letting them mess with the service. And you wouldn't do that if it was more, you wouldn't do that if they came in and they came into your CrossFit gym and they refused to touch the barbell and they always complained about why you never do Pilates. 
it would be very obvious that you would be like, oh, you're not the right fit for us. But because they're willing to kind of go through the motions, you're like, well, I guess kind of they're here for what we want. But if they're not here for what you want, they're not here for what you want. And why are you wasting any energy? Because every every amount of energy you give them is is energy you cannot give to somebody else who's like, this is my jam and I want to do this and I want to do this better. Please help me. You don't, we don't get infinite amount of attention and we don't get infinite amount of energy. Every second that these two people take away your ability to be a coach to somebody who wants to be there, wants to be there is you're, it, they're stealing it from somebody else. Boom. Well said, Patrick. Boom. Environment. Right. We, In, uh, we talked about this before, right? Environment is so key. Like if you get everything else right, but the environment's wrong, no bueno. No bueno. Love that. All right, my man. That was fun. That was a very, very bad two minute drill, but I loved almost every single We'll just we'll just answer. edit out every single time we said the word two minute drill and call it something else. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you everybody out there for sending uh, us your questions. They continue to be amazing. They continue to get better uh, and they continue to make it impossible to answer them in two minutes. So find me on Instagram, PS Cummings, drop me a DM. I'll get it to the list. I'll add it to the list, get it into a future episode. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I will be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time. Thank you for listening.